0: Hello. You're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. Thank you, Shingei Roshi, and all people here. The talk share uh, this evening uh, is kind of a, my tendency is to give a Dharma talk based on the present moment circumstances. And um, so I want to lead this uh, talk and hopefully dialogue with um, a great American Zen master by the name of James Baldwin. And um, in the book, um, The Fire Next Time, he said, we are capable of bearing a great burden once we discover that the burden is reality and arrive where reality is. And... The reality is um, for me, it's a discomfort. It is painful. It is sad. Um, Wisconsin, uh, continuation of a very long narrative. And simultaneously, I just came off of doing um, uh, a three-day immersion in uh, where we practice, I, I use as the framework, because uh, I'm a person in long-term recovery from addiction. So I use a swell-set framework uh, for cultural bias, racism, otherism. And... Um, and before all this happened, there was a gentleman there. And, uh, and most of the people, most of the participants uh, were white, except for one other person. And so what the gentleman said was, uh, that I found striking, is he said, you know, I, I'm such an ally, but I can never know what it is like to be a victim of racism. And I laughed, I said, trick or treat, of course you're a victim. It's not just uh, those who experience that version of oppression, it's sometimes those who are also uh, swimming in the same waters uh, and don't understand it, don't know, don't get it. And, uh, and so uh, this so-called victimization, it's on a spectrum. And some are worse than others. You know, I am um, definitely Black, but, um, but biracial. And so uh, I don't honestly experience oppression to the same degree that other people are darker. That's just, that's the reality. I didn't make the rules, but that's how it works. When you're living in kind of, you know, this most recent book that I read is by Isabel Wilkerson uh, called Caste. So when you're in a caste system, you're in a caste system, uh, which we have not changed yet. And so, yeah. When originally, in my younger days, I came to Daibusutsu Zendo, um, it was uh, the Jumpo era. There were two reasons that I came to Daibusutsu Zendo. So it was, you know, the, the basic traditional one that most of us show up for, which is Uh, I want enlightenment. I want to wake up. And the other side was, of that, was I wanted to experience liberation without the oppression of being black. And I felt that If I came there and practiced, there was the possibility that I could experience liberation from racism or at least it's harmful poisonous effects. Because when we're swimming in a toxic pool or pond, it's difficult to not become sick. And there was an inkling of that um, once, um, more than once. But one specifically that comes to mind in the moment was um, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, Eida Roshi was uh, giving a teisho, and he was talking about doing uh, takohatsu. in Japan and at this one place that he was at it was apparently it was a construction site of some sort and uh there was a a man there who was obviously uh, um intoxicated and so but despite the person's intoxication and uh state of being what happened was is, is that the man put a coin between his toes And gave it to Eroshi, who was unsui monk at that time, you know, um, and and was deposited in, I guess, the bag. And he said, when when he did that, he said that guy was a devil. (laughs) And uh, but he did the requisite chants and blessings that you're supposed to. And then uh, Ed Roshi said that, you know, cause he had the hat, you know, the brim hat, hat on. And so he couldn't see the person, but he was just chanting, chanting, chanting. And he was angry. And he said that when he started to lift up, he said, he doesn't know precisely what happened, but instead of seeing an enemy, he saw a Bodhisattva. And when he said that, I knew that precise experience. Someone calling me high yellow or being indifferent or using the normal, you don't sound Black. You talk white. Or you're so articulate. Or what's a Black person doing in, in a Japanese monastery? This is an awfully white space, you know? It all hurts until it doesn't. I wanted that kind of liberation. So that I wouldn't be a victim of it. So that I could stand as a human being. And one of my uh, good friends, uh, she's one of the co-authors of the book, Radical Dharma. Her name is uh, Yasmin Samudala. And she recently wrote a paper. Um, She's a professor at Vassar College. But she had written a paper and one of the lines that really kind of struck me And what she wrote is, uh, she said, in America, we live in the imagination of freedom. It's an imaginary thing. It's not just happening to black people or brown people or indigenous people, it's also happening to white people. It's confusing, the young man, Kyle Rittenhouse, 17 year old child, teenager, had in his mind this imagination, this imaginary thing of what it would be like to be a police officer and found himself, they call it a long gun, uh, where I'm from, we call it a machine gun. But he found himself with a semi-automatic weapon, surrounded by these adults, brought into this long culture, with, uh, which is sometimes euph- euphemistically called um, rugged individualism, which is a hundred eighty-degree different from Buddhism. Because it's about all of us in Buddhism. I mean, that's what the Mahayana is. I'm not free unless you're free. And another courageous Shinge Roshi sometimes you know being in her presence is such an honor it feels so authentic and especially when she says the words begins with bodhisattvas she's not kidding it's an opportunity and so this young man i believe his first name is anthony is last name is definitely Uber, H-E-B-E-R, 26-year-old young man on a skateboard with a girlfriend that he wanted to marry. He had a stepdaughter. And he gave his body to protect others. And made a deep, deep, deep sacrifice that he didn't have to do. He could have run away. He could have ducked. But somewhere in him naturally was the Bodhisattva's vial. <speaking in Spanish> In actualizing it, very definitely a victim of circumstance. I was crying this morning as I was chanting the Daisagaki for him. So many things I wish didn't happen, but they do. And that's the, that's the reality to that our practice is to turn into it with kindness, compassion, selflessness, dignity, and grace, friendliness, generosity, reverence, and all. When the um, when there was the massacre at the Tree of Life synagogue, where the Jewish persons were massacred by another terrorist radical here in the United States, I was born in Pittsburgh, so. It was not very far from where I was actually born. It was Squirrel Hills. My uncle lived there. I was in Squirrel Hills many times. Very beautiful there. But I was actually in the process of doing another immersion retreat. And um, I took our verse of purification, you know, when we do the long service, and I rewrote it for them. And I shared it with uh, the participants uh, where I was doing this particular immersion. And it goes like this, purification, all the cultural bias, racism and otherism, ever conditioned within and projected towards me since of old, whether consciously or unconsciously, On account of beginningless fear, conditioning, or misunderstanding, I am now willing to turn towards them, address them, and purify them all. It's a strange thing, my relationship as a monk, my relationship with Daiba Sotsuzundo Kongoji, I honestly feel so cared for among members of the Sangha, with Shinge Roshi. You know, Andy, who, uh, in his own special way, has befriended me. We have some very nice commonalities that mean everything to me. And um, today I was talking to someone. When I was, uh, I spent five and a half years at Daibai uh, Zan um in Seattle, Washington. Uh, While I was living there and that's where I was ordained. In this Rinzai tradition, it didn't occur to me at the moment, but only later that I am the only uh, ordained Rinzai Zen Buddhist monk or nun that I've ever met. I've met some in the Soto lineage like uh, Zenju, Earthling, Manual, but really in the lineage after years of training and practice, I've never met another Black Rinzai Zen Buddhist. And it's weird. So anyway, when I was at uh, Chobuji Daibaizan, there was a person there by the name of Muzan who had cancer. Very old guy. Uh, and um, older white gentleman befriended me. Um, mountain climbing history. He summited uh, Mount uh, Baker when he was 14 years old. Summited it. And had since then summited it uh, four times and Mount Rainier about 17 times, and was a uh, mountain guide traveler. And uh, he was given Jakai by Genki Takabayashi Roshi, who was a friend of Eda Roshi's. And uh, so he was dying, and it ended up, um, I because of the nature uh, of uh, my work. Um, on the East Coast, working in the field of addictions and technology, that I was able to take care of him. And as he declined, you know, uh, he had two things that he loved. Uh, first is uh, he had uh, a scooter. He loved riding his scooter, you a Vespa. And the other thing that he loved probably equally, if not more, to tell you the truth, is he had a, a dog by the name of Kerouac. And a beautiful little uh, Whippet. And um, he came to my apartment, my ex-wife was there, my son happened to be there. and. Um, And they were actually already in the apartment when I was coming back from the coffee shop and Luzon was there. And he said, "I, I have a poem to give you. And I said, oh? He says, yeah, I think my cancer came back. And the poem read, The mountain has no top. And though I have reached its peak, I still continue to climb. Ralph went through a lot. Surgeries, treatment, it was painful. It was sad and uh, I and some others uh, Genjo Roshi, we took care of him, and then I um, he had a hospital bed in his room, and I slept on the um, the futon. And the the oddest thing, as he was dying, he he had this very strange request, and he said, Seiho I'm like, "What?" I want to go to the bathroom. I want to stand up like a man and pee. And I was like, "This has got to be the drugs." Oh my god! And Ralph could be a little rough on people, and so maybe that's one of the reasons why he, he took a shine to me because uh, it didn't—it never phased me, you know, when he was gruff. You know, it didn't personalize it. It was just funny. And so at any rate, um, he couldn't make it to the bathroom, but I got him standing up. And I was holding this container so that he could pee, and we were forehead to forehead, and the sweat was just pouring off his body. And after it was done and he laid back in the bed, he had, one, he had actually two words, thank you. The day before Buzon died, we were holding hands. And as he died, his breathing, it turned into like a, it sounded like a boiler that was gone bad or a locomotive engine that just, was just starting to try and get running. But before he transitioned, he wrote on a piece of paper, he willed Kerouac to my son who was 13 years old Bear came to see him and Muzan asked Bear you're a good kid do you promise to take care of Kerouac I love him more than anything Would you be willing to care for him as long as he lives? Bear was crying. He said, Of course I will. And as Ralph Luzon was sick, Bear would bring Kerouac to the hospital and, you know, they look at each other through a window. Ralph was into the civil rights movement. He marched with Dr. King. Being with him was like being at Dai It wasn't about being black or of color and it wasn't about not being black and of color. It was something else recently i got to visit him Uh, he had surgery and one of the things that was striking and i was having a conversation with my ex-wife and she was saying i am so grateful for kerouac Because during this stressful time of COVID-19, you know, and I have to work and everything, and I'm so glad that you're here to help take care of Bear during the day. He and Kerouac are so close. And I feel like sometimes Kerouac saved his life and his mind through this time because I see so much going on with other kids and families that are struggling more because they don't have pets or things like that. Someone as good as Kerouac. No distance, no space, no gap, no time. My dear friend moves on. He's still climbing. He's still present with me every day. And though I may use these terms of white and black and culture and this and that. He, we, are more than just human beings. That's not a philosophy or a theory. I love the people in the Sangha, whether I know them directly or not. I appreciate Shinge Roshi every day because this practice with my teacher is not a battle it's like walking side by side with seamlessness And so I am grateful every day to have a place where I can practice, people that I can practice with, spirit and tradition that I can practice with. We are capable of bearing a great burden once we discover that the burden is reality and arrive where the reality is. This has been a Zen Studies Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org donate. Thank you for listening.